parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem every year for the festival of Passover, of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So I'm going to borrow a technique that John Luke used when he preached, and I thought I would do cards today. And first, I'll just begin with a general overview of my retelling of the story. So you have, uh, today's the second Sunday after Christmas, by the way, and you have this text, which is the only account of the boy Jesus, which I think is cool. Um, we see him as a baby. We see him as an adult. And we have nothing about him in between that except for this. So I think that's kind of interesting. And it's set within the theme of Passover and the festival of Passover in Jerusalem. And it's time to return home. Imagine you're there, right? Imagine you're either the parents of Jesus, you're the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, or imagine you're Jesus. So he's 12 years old, a couple years older than John Luke. And everyone is going back home back to Nazareth, and they're traveling in this caravan. Jerusalem is huge, and it's packed with people. Mary and Joseph just assume that Jesus is with either them or their family or friends, and they start heading home, and they're a day's journey away. And they realize, where's Jesus? And no one can find him. So naturally, they get worried. They assume he was with their group. They can't find him. They search for three days. Can you imagine searching for your child, your baby, for three days in a metropolis that's packed with other people? And nobody cares, right? Because the crowd is so impersonal and it's hard to get people to help you. So they finally find him. He's in the temple. The scholars were sitting there and it tells us that they were amazed. And what's kind of interesting, I like to look at certain words in the Greek and the word for amazed, it's Existemai, and it literally means they were astonished, but it was astonishment mingled with fear. So they're like <laughs> sitting there with this 12 year old and they're afraid of him because he's kind of, and excuse me for saying this, this is language that I think we can relate to. He's kind of a freakish sort of child because he's sitting there as a 12 year old and he's a freak of nature and he's explaining to them deep things like no other scholar can. And he's also asking questions that no other scholar would ask. 
So they're dumbfounded. And then Mary and Joseph, the word for them is ek pleso, pleso. And it literally means, it means dumbfounded. So they're, they, they, they search for Jesus for three days. They find him at the temple and they walk in and they just look and listen. Maybe Jesus doesn't see them right away. Maybe they're in the back and maybe he's in the front. And they watch this kid, their child, teaching not just rabbis, not just scholars, but the best of the best. This would be like your child, your 12-year-old child, going to Duke Divinity School or going to <clears throat> some sort of seminary or some sort of, uh, you know, like Harvard and sitting with the philosophers. And you walk in and there's your 12-year-old talking deep with these teachers. And they're dumbfounded. They're offended that their 12-year-old would do this, but they're extremely dumbfounded. Okay, the last thing I want to add to that is that it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. There's a clue there. So Luke travels around, right? This is from the Gospel of Luke. And he gets eyewitness testimonies. That's what Luke tells us. He goes around and he asks people to tell their story. That means that Mary's the one that's telling the story. Because, look, he goes internal. Mary treasured these things in her heart, internally, which means this had to come from Mary. Okay, the one verse that pops out is, it says, assuming he was in their group. And when I was a kid, uh, one thing that I remember a teacher saying, and I, I hope you'll excuse my language here, but I was in high school, and the teacher said, when you assume, you make a blank out of you and me. And you guys know what I mean. So assumptions can obviously hurt us. But my question is, have you ever been hurt by someone assuming something about you? Or have you ever put your foot in your mouth and assumed something about another person? Um, it happens quite a bit. And when you assume, that means that you accept something as truth, as true without proof. And that's what I think I just want to lean into, is that they, they assumed he was with them. Here you have God with us, and they assume that he is with them. This week, I assumed something that had a deep price. I was with the family. We went for a walk. It was when the weather was kind of nice, and we went outside. And John Luke said, I'm going to ride my bike. Maddie said, I'm going to you know, ride uh, my scooter. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to get my scooter out, too. So I have an adult version of a scooter, um, nerd cred there. And uh, we went up to the park. I don't know what put it in my mind to go as fast as I could to try to catch up to Diana and Monty, but something inside of me said, go fast. <laughs> and I literally started going, and I'm not exaggerating here, probably 10 to 12, maybe 13 miles per hour. I was hauling it. Um, the scooter was barely touching the ground. I, every step was just more speed, accelerating, accelerating. And then there was a turn. And I know physics. I thought, if I lean the right way, I can make this turn without falling. And so here I am. Now I'm probably 14 miles an hour. And I make this turn. And I assumed that the concrete was flat. It was not and the front wheel caught an edge. I haven't fallen like this since I was probably like 13 years old. 
Um, John Luke was scared. My feet went over my head. And he flew like five feet. I flew in the air. Diana heard it from the other side of the park. When you get older and you take a fall like this, you know, um, I used to go to the, I still go to the doctor. And the question that always used to make me laugh is they, they ask you, have you fallen recently? And I always chuckle at that. I'm like, no, you know, I'm not 80 years old. Now I can no longer answer no to that question. I have to say, yeah, I definitely did really bad. But when you fall and you're older, well, here's the deal. I laid there and I didn't move, right? John Luke was very concerned. Mom thought that you joked her. Right. Mom thought I was joking. Thought that it was a prank. So the first thing that you do is you lay there. And then you try to move one thing at a time. You're like, my arm's not broke. My leg's not broke. Uh, the only thing that happened was I landed on my glasses and scratched them a little bit. But I sit up and I'm like, oh my goodness. Where did I go wrong? What happened? I assumed. One time uh, when we were younger, you guys know Tony. Some of you know Tony, Diana's brother. Nick, you might remember this. Um, we were at church, and everyone, it was kind of a chaotic moment. Everyone was just hanging out. And the Colangelos had multiple vehicles that they drove to church for different reasons, right? Um, sometimes Liza and Diana would go hang out with the youth group. Tony wasn't that old yet. And I remember we're closing things up, we're shutting things down, and Tony's hanging out in the lobby. And we say to him, Tony, are, you, are your parents here? And he's like, no. And we said, is Diana and Liza, are your sisters here? He's like, no. And I was like, did you get left here? He was like, I think so. And he, I was like, it's going to be okay. And so we had to go into the office. Back then, um, people just were starting to have cell phones, I think. And we had to call their residence. I think his parents were already back home. Did we catch them before that? Okay. And we said, uh, you left your child at church. And I'll never forget that story because the feeling of abandonment <laughs> that Tony had, he was a good sport about it. But also the assumption, right, that you just assume that someone's going to take care of something, that someone's got Tony. Um, here's my question to you. And if you want, you know, you could share with, with us in this moment. Why do you think people assume? I'll, I'll, I'll roll it. I'll get the ball rolling a little bit. I wonder if it's because sometimes we feel like we have to. Like maybe it's an evolutionary trait that um, as human beings, we evolve to such a state where we need to assume certain things or else we'll always be second guessing ourselves. Um, does anyone else have anything to share? Like, why do you think people assume? I think it's kind of lazy. Laziness, yep. Yes. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Bob Schultz said, once the way of assuming sets in, it's game over for any new information that might challenge our assumptions of the world. It's, it, it's game over for anything new. 
and I'm going somewhere with this, but I think it's important that we that we're mindful of our assumptions, religiously, theologically, relationally. Never assume, right? Never, never put anything on cruise control when it involves another human being, um, when it involves another relationship, because you're going to lose something in the process. And in this case, they lost Jesus. So I think the true meaning of Christmas is that Jesus is confusing. Because when they show up and they see the boy Jesus, he's already confusing people at the age of 12. And not only did he confuse insiders, but he also confused outsiders, right? So he's sitting with outsiders, the temple cult, and he's confusing them. They're afraid of him. But also he's confusing his family. Uh, Mary and Joseph show up and they're dumbfounded and they're offended and they're hurt and they're puzzled by Jesus and he's only 12 years old. So we sing that song, What Child Is This During Christmas Time? The next time you sing that, I think it needs to sink in. Even though we'll make some declarations about Jesus, let your heart always remain curious. What child is this? Two quick things. God with us does not equal God with us. I'm going to say that with a different emphasis. God with us does not equal God with us, right? We live in a world of us versus them. We live in a world of we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, and everyone has their group. Everyone is polarized. And I think that God with us in a faithful way confuses us, draws us into awe and wonder and contemplation. God with us in an unfaithful way is corruptively convenient. It makes us feel entitled to our theology, to our worldview, and it allows us to assume that God endorses our positions. It allows us to assume that God is with our group. That's what Mary and Joseph assumed. God's with our group, and he was not. And so I think it's really important. Brian Zahn said, we reduce Jesus to being the Savior who guarantees our reservation in heaven, listen to this, while using him to endorse our own ideas about how to run the world. I watched the Black Klansman last night, and one of the most sickening scenes in that movie is when the Ku Klux Klan is meeting together in this room. They're having a religious ceremony. If you didn't know, the Ku Klux Klan believes themselves to be Christians. And David Duke, who is the leader, he's still alive, by the way. He was at Charlottesville. Is that what that town was called a few years ago, 2017? David Duke stands up in the middle of the Klan, and you know what he says? God is with us. God bless white America, right? I want to read to you that quote one more time. We reduce Jesus to being the Savior who guarantees our reservation in heaven while using him to endorse our own ideas about how to run the world. This happens politically. This happens sociologically. This happens philosophically. It happens ecclesially. It happens theologically. Everybody thinks God is on our side. And you have David Duke and a bunch of racists claiming God. Oh, how lost they are. Um, and I'm not saying that we have God figured out either. I'm saying we should be humble 
And that's the lesson of the Jesus, the boy child, who confuses us. He confused Mary. He confused Joseph. He confused the temple. Jesus is outside of our box. He is outside the boxes of both insiders, the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, and he's outside the box of the temple cult. The the scholars, the scribes, the Pharisees, he's outside of their box too. Jesus will not fit in to the Republican box. Jesus will not fit into the Democrat box. Jesus will not fit into the capitalist box. He won't fit into the communist box. Now, I think he shares things with certain ideas, no doubt, but he's bigger than that. He's greater than that. And I think it's really important that we understand. Here's another thing, and that this might ruffle some feathers, but I, I don't care. Jesus will not fit in to not only outside boxes, but he won't fit into inside boxes. Now, I, I got to be careful with my words here. Jesus is bigger than Pentecostalism. He's bigger than Catholicism. He's bigger than the, they say, 30,000 denominations of Protestantism. And I think we offend God when we think our group owns him. So he's greater than that. Edith Stein, she says, and it's simple, it's one, two, three, four, five words. God is always ever greater. So whoever you think God is, he's greater than that. I'm going to close it up. Thank you for your patience. Takeaway number one. Is this okay? Is this stuff good? Takeaway number one. Our deepest assumptions can become our greatest impedance to God. Our deepest assumptions that we hold on to can become our greatest impedance to God. If you're unwilling... I wrote this. I'm going to read it. If you're unwilling to turn around, if you're unwilling to search, you know, turn around means repent. And Mary and Joseph had to turn around. They went a day's journey ahead, but they had to turn around. If you're unwilling to turn around, if you're unwilling to unlearn, then God is not what you want. What you really want is yourself as God. If you're unwilling to rethink, God is not what you want. Takeaway number two, assuming, the Bible says, assuming he was with their group. Uh, I got it again, I don't... I'm recording this. We might put it out there. I don't want to be offensive to anyone. Here's what I'll say. We all come from a tradition of the church, right? I do. You do. Treasure your tradition, but don't worship it. Uh, Treasure your tradition. Don't worship it. Oh, man. This is from uh, Dr. Green's writings. I'm going to paraphrase. He said, uh, we tend to make We tend to focus on the distinctions of our movement within the church. And then I added to this, and I'm sorry if this is offensive, but for me, within my own tradition, we've made great Pentecostals, but lousy Christians. Okay, made it through that one. (laughs) Takeaway number three, don't assume anything. Be humble. We often want Jesus, but we want him on our own terms. Don't do that. To worship a Jesus that is, oh, to worship a Jesus that is merely a projection of our own desires is to worship a Jesus that cannot contradict you. And when you worship a Jesus that cannot contradict you, you're worshiping a Jesus that looks like you. 
and can't change you at all. So let Jesus transform you. God with us can be dumbfounding, terrifying, but always transformational. God with us, with our group, is simply convenient and destructive ultimately. So I'll close with a few quotes. Dr. Chris Green, the process of coming to know how to think and speak about God will be inseparably, inseparably bound up with unlearning deeply ingrained opinions about him. Amen. And then Reverend, uh, the Reverend Sarah Coakley, desiring God means practicing unmastery. And that's a word that she came up with. But that means you're going to... Unmastery is when you, you commit yourself to a, a life of faith that is devoted to not only learning new things about God, but unlearning unfaithful things about God. And half of your conversion, especially if you grow up in this country, is going to be unlearning bad ideas about God. It's going to require humility. It's going to be very intimidating. Like Mary and Joseph, you're going to be dumbfounded at points. But it's a holy confusion. I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me in the past two years and has said, I like what you're saying. It's very confusing. And I tell them, lean into that. The Spirit's in that, right? Jesus is in the temple. He's confusing his parents and the temple cult. Let Jesus be confusing to you. The Spirit will meet you there. And when you have a Jesus who can contradict you, you have a Jesus that can change you for his glory. I'll finish with this prayer. Well, actually, a challenge for you. <laughs> what good will come by our humility? What good will come by your new openness, by your new uh, um, disposition, willing to unlearn, deconstructing assumptions? We're about to enter into a really turbulent time. I don't, I'm not a prophet. I don't have to predict this in the spirit. I'm an American citizen, and I know 2020 is going to be a turbulent time. What would humility and grace and a holy kind of confusion do to you that would make you think differently, that would make you maybe participate in civil life a little bit differently, that would change you? Okay. Now a prayer. This is from Eckhart's prayer. God, as you really are, rid us of God as we imagine you to be. I'll pray that one more time. God, as you really are, rid us of God as we imagine you to be. And all God's people can say. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.